You are listening to episode 190 of This is Type 1. Today we're talking about how to modify recipes to be T1D friendly. So we all know that there are a lot of cookbooks out there in the world that claim to have like healthy eating options for daily life, like vegan, low carb, Martha Stewart cookbooks, like cooking in general is really healthy, like if you do it at home. But at the same time, there are a lot of cookbooks out there that make a lot of claims that they can't necessarily own up to. For example, you open up a cookbook you find wherever and you realize that the claims that they're making on the cover are not actually true or they don't really know what they're talking about. Well, in this episode, we're going to be talking about how to modify those recipes that you might want to try to make them more carb-friendly and or the way you want them and to also keep your sanity when you're trying to cook for yourself at home. To give a little background, this year I decided I was going to cook my way through a five-ingredient cookbook, which sounds pretty easy to do, but at the same time, it's a little rough because when you realize that most of the recipes are only like meatloaf or stew or heavy carbs or breads or desserts, there's like 30 plus options for one actual low carb meal that I found that I can actually eat. So I started to deep dive into what I can do to make cooking really sustainable for me and my blood sugars, but also to keep my sanity and keep it still super simple and like five ingredients or less. So one way that I noticed that I can reduce my carb intake and adjust some recipes is instead of doing like heated oats, not cooking your oats and doing like overnight oats, actually will save you carbs because when you don't cook oats, apparently the carbs are not as much. I found this out by trial and error because one day I was making myself like heated oatmeal and I ate it and I was like, oh, wow, this is great. I put in my little carbs for it. And then of course, per usual, you go higher after you eat oats. So then the next day I did overnight oats for breakfast, which are awesome, by the way. I love those. I accidentally forgot to bullet until I got to campus like 20 minutes later, which it wasn't a big deal. I got, I had my insulin pump on and my CGM, so it wasn't huge. But still, I noticed my blood sugar, one, didn't skyrocket. So I kind of just waited to, just to kind of see what happens. And as soon as my blood sugar would go up, I would bullet for it just to see what would happen. Yeah. Comments. So because I have no idea what the difference is, what is the difference between just oats that you heat up and overnight oats? Okay. So ho- oats that you eat up, they're the same thing. They're both oatmeal, like regular, like, oh, I'll just cook with these. Like I do cooking oatmeal or I do cooking oats. So like overnight oats are where you put like oats and in a container with almond milk and like chia seeds and Basically, anything you would put in regular oatmeal, like heated oatmeal, into the fridge for overnight. That's why they call it overnight oats because it turns into like an oatmeal consistency, just cold. And so heated oats are like regular oatmeal. (laughs) So with the overnight oats, do you just eat it cold or do you actually heat it up in the morning? For me personally, I just eat it cold because I kind of like it like that more. Like the consistency and the texture is just like... I don't know. In my personal preference, I just really like it a lot more. That is so much easier to just grab it, start eating it, or just grab it and go and eat it somewhere rather than having to worry about like heating it up or doing this or doing that. And like, I really like it. Personally, I actually don't know the exact number that it reduces your carbs by. And I also don't 
know like the exact thing that causes that i'm sure well i'm sure it's got something to do with the glycemic index and like when you cook oats you probably activate some form of yeast that causes them to have more carbs i don't know i'm not a doctor i'm also not a nutritionist so i could not tell you just want to put that out there but that's just something i noticed is like when i don't bolus for my overnight oats or i didn't do that that one time my blood sugar didn't really skyrocket until after lunch and so i wouldn't say it's not necessarily low carb but it's definitely something that you could do as an alternative for like a lower carb meal and still be able to eat oatmeal and enjoy it. So another alternative that we I usually do is from regular milk, I switch to almond milk for multiple reasons. One, because milk has a lot of, it's super carb dense and it's almost like a different form of juice in a sense to where it's a liquid and liquids start absorbing, you know, a lot faster than like solids do in your body. So that was one reason. Another reason is like, I'm pretty sure I'm lactose intolerant. I don't know hundred percent sure, but it also hurts my tummy. So we just don't do the milk thing anymore, including cheese. But so I switched to almond milk instead and it's gone a lot better. And that's what I do with my overnight oats personally is I do almond milk instead of regular milk. And then I also do a sugar-free coffee creamer because there isn't as much sweetness and they are not adding a bunch of sugar. I know that's not exactly pertaining to cooking, but at the same time, it's some alternative that you can do to lower blood sugar for yourself. And then in another episode, 191, we'll be talking about meal prepping and how you can actually count your carbs days in advance instead of doing it all at once on the day of or the meal before. And that really helps a lot. And you can sub in for different recipes like, hey, this calls in for so much sugar, so much salt. You can reduce that so you don't actually put in that much sugar or that much salt unless you're like baking or something. And then it's like a whole different ballgame. But when you're cooking, like say you're making a stew, you don't necessarily have to put in like three cups of sugar for two gallons of soup or whatever, you know, stuff like that where you can actually reduce the amount of like sugar you're cooking with or flour you're cooking with, depending on what it is. And then finally for me, for one of my alternatives is using alternative flour instead of regular flour. So regular flour does have a lot of carbs in it. And that's mainly where a lot of carbs come from is like flours. That's the basis of pasta. It's the basis of breads and cookies and all of these heavy carb things all have a common ingredient, which is flour in them. So you can use alternative flours for cooking. Like I used almond flour the other day for non bread, which is like a stir fry, not stir fry, but like deep fry bread that you don't like cook in the oven. You just cook it on a pan. It's pretty cool. Actually, I will post the recipe down below, but like still it's, it's a five ingredient thing. And what the main ingredient is flour. So you just use almond flour instead. It turns out pretty much the same way, but it saves you a lot of carbs, and a lot of headache from trying to like think like, Oh, I use this much flour and this is how big this pastry or this piece of bread is compared to this piece of bread. So how much carbs should I put in for that? And then doing the whole math in your head and then not even getting it right. Your blood sugar growing up anyways. Like, so that kind of took a lot of the headache out of it. But so I will say some of these like alternatives, like almond flour or avocado mayo, which is 
mayonnaise made from avocados instead of like oil and eggs instead, they can be kind of expensive. So if you're on a like a really tight budget, there are ways to make this work. But just know that like if you're going to switch to some alternatives, you might see a little bit of a jump in your grocery bill, which is totally fine. And if it's some a good trade off for health versus expense, doing it safely and like in small ways can really improve a lot with like your blood sugar control too. Yeah. When you're talking about paying more now for healthier foods, that means down the line when you're older, you're paying less for the healthcare costs to keep you healthier, fix you from different diseases or different ailments that befall you because your diet was trash earlier in life. So my ways of making things more type 1 diabetes friendly when I'm in the kitchen, the top of my list is to have my husband do it. Because he is the chef in our household. And while I do technically make like most of my food, he does make a lot of stuff that I end up using in my food. So he'll like chop all the vegetables or pre cook the meat or portion out the meat or basically have me be his guinea pig for some uh, recipes that he's trying out for his website. But if I can have my husband make my food, then that is an all around win for me. Kind of the default one that he was talking about for ways to make recipes more type 1 diabetes friendly is to either take bread or bread pro- like products out of the recipe or switch the bread from something that's bread to something that's more low carb, like as Jesse was saying, something made with almond flour or coconut flour or something that's alternative to just the typical high carb flours that we all grew up with. And my thing about the taking out of the bread is that the bread is like the vehicle for the thing that is in the bread. And if the thing that is in the bread is good by itself, then why do you need the bread for it? (laughs) I will say that sentiment reminds me of a scene from the movie, The Menu, where this lady just like, they give them no bread. The actual chef gives them no bread. And she's like, there's no bread. And she's like some high, high end food critic or whatever. And she's like, there's no bread. And he goes, well, that's the point. You're supposed to enjoy the sauce. And she was like, but there's no bread. She just could not wrap her mind around that. You could enjoy just the sauce and not the bread. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Another alternative for cooking at least is when a recipe calls for milk, my husband will do a different like a ratio of heavy whipping cream and water because that cuts the cream down to be more of the consistency of milk and there's like none of the carbs because heavy cream is very carb light which is why i also use heavy cream in my coffee instead of like typical creamers and stuff like that i also do bulletproof coffee which i do with butter heavy cream mct oil cocoa powder and vanilla And that talk uh, kind of leads me into another point, which is you can use natural sweeteners that have nothing to do with sugar. Like vanilla is kind of a a sweet ingredient for a lot of things. That's why we put vanilla in baking products. That's why we put vanilla in... Well, that's why I put my vanilla in my um, coffees because it helps give it a little bit of sweetness without any of the sugar. So you can look for natural sweeteners like that. Another one is to really just experiment with a bunch of alternative ingredients. You can do a Google search for low-carb ingredients for foods and just experiment with what comes up. And you might find that you like those alternative ingredients more than you like the recipe that has the original high-carb ingredients. So it's really just about 
taking the time to experiment and figure out for yourself what you like. Another thing is to keep with the more natural stuff than all like the fake stuff. This is, I think in particular with, what is it? Artificial sweeteners, that's the word. The word I was looking for is we, like as people who are eating low carb, people who eat low carb tend to go more towards artificial sweeteners because they still want the experience of sweetness that sugar provides, but without any of the carbs. And I think we've gotten into a place in society where we aren't recognizing that a lot of those artificial sweeteners are not as like, they're not good for the body as we've been led to believe. And so I would challenge people who are listening to pay attention to how your body feels after you consume artificial sweeteners in whatever form they are. This is how I figured out that I am nauseous when I take or when I have erythritol. And erythritol is like the staple keto sugar ingredient for baked goods for keto. So if you if you take a perusal down the low carb aisle in the grocery store and you look at all of those desserts, <laughs> almost guaranteed they're made with erythritol. And I found out just through experimentation that my body can't handle it anymore. And so I just stay away from those things. So that's another basically tip to make your stuff low carb or your stuff type 1 diabetes friendly is to pay attention to how you feel and then be okay with letting some things go. That doesn't mean you're restricting yourself or like cutting out entire food groups. It's just listening to your body and paying attention to how you feel when you eat and how you feel after you eat. And that leads into another thing about paying attention to hunger. If you are eating food that if you're eating past hunger, you don't actually know how much your body needs. And so type 1 diabetics can often overeat on low carb foods. I mean, I overeat on low carb foods. I mean, just because it's low carb doesn't mean that by being low carb, you're going to naturally lose weight. You can absolutely overeat on anything that includes low carb. So you want to pay attention to your hunger and that's going to help with overall maybe your grocery bill. Because if you don't actually need as much as you think you do, you might end up spending less on food. Some other things are having more meat and veggies. So one of my kind of default rules when I go out to eat at restaurants is meat and veggies. It's not like I have to have a salad or I have to have a burger without a bun or I have to have a steak or whatever the thing on the menu is. But having a rule like meat and veggies that can naturally cut out or eliminate or make it so you just don't have the basket of bread rolls or the tortilla chips or like or the dessert or whatever comes with that that meal. Like if you want to, if you want to have those things, absolutely go ahead and have those things if you want. And if you know that you're okay with dealing with the consequences of having it. But I mean, as a natural rule for me, it's like more meat and more veggies. That's what I kind of stick with. And then another thing is having more non-traditional ways of eating. So I'm pretty, I'm sure like me, Jesse grew up having three meals a day. And at those meals, you had a main dish and you had a side and you had like a drink and all of the stuff that forms a meal as modern America kind of sees meal time as. But I've found over experimentation that I'm okay with not having specific sides or specific mains with my meals. It's like, I just eat what I'm hungry and I eat, I just eat. <laughs> it doesn't have to have specific, uh, it doesn't have to have a specific format to the meal. It's just it's like, it's all food. So why does it matter if you have a side versus a main versus like having to have all of them? Yeah. Like if you look at the, um, 
I think it's the CDC who puts this out, but the national standard of how and what Americans should be eating, it's nine servings of pasta a day is like nine. Yeah, I'm pretty, I am pretty sure on that of what I, when I last looked, but the food pyramid or the my plate stuff, get that out of your head. That is ridiculous to like go by. I have so much stuff against the food pyramid. You have no idea, but let me look it up really fast of like what the actual. I mean, that is astonishing that they're still pushing that you need to have nine servings of pasta or flour or whatever it is yeah. a day. That is insane. Isn't that crazy? It's so ridiculous. I mean, I'm okay. I'm proud of the American Diabetes Association for recently saying that like lower carb is probably better. <laughs> yeah. So for one daily intake of carbs per day or not carbs per se, but like servings of bread, cereal, rice, or pasta and that group I'm putting quotes around because it's ridiculous is six to 11 servings a day. The veggies group is three to five servings of vegetables a day. The fruits group is two to four servings a day. When it comes to meat, poultry, fish, dried beans, eggs, and nuts, you're only allowed two to three servings a day and milk, yogurt, cheese, which milk, yogurt, and cheese, those are all dairy, but some cheese is like low carb, but dairy super like ice cream, super high carb is two to three servings a day. And then fish oils, fats, and sweets says use sparingly. Oh, so no. although you no, can no, have no, no, no. 11 servings of pasta, okay. use sparingly with your sweets. Since we're on the topic of the food pyramid and the my plate and all of that, everybody listening, I want you to go and Google keto food pyramid because that is going to take the traditional FDA food pyramid and flip it on its head so that the base layer, which is the most of the food that you're allowed to eat, which in the rest of the, of the United States is supposed to be this six to 11 servings of pasta, yeah. the keto food pyramid flips it over. So you're getting most of your daily intake from meats and proteins and that's really what's going to keep you fuller for longer and keep you more energetic for longer yeah so oh gross i thought i would share because that's what they actively teach children like that's what i was taught growing up was this is the food pyramid this is how much you should be eating of what things you're supposed to be eating and it's it's ridiculous because you really aren't taught well at least in american systems how to eat properly and healthily not even as a diabetic but just as a child like this is what they tell children to eat as a not as like a six-year-old is like you should be eating 11 like five servings of pasta a day like five very carby things a day which i understand kids are growing a lot they need a lot of food but that's ridiculous but we're surprised by our like the like 30 to 40 or, or even higher than that percent of American adults are obese. Yeah, because they don't know. How to eat. Yeah, it's right. crazy. Wild. No, no kidding. Uh, OK, that was a little bit of a soapbox. Clearly, we have opinions about the food pyramid and about how to eat. But my last thing about having some like low carb tips or whatever around your kitchen is just to have some default favorite recipes that are low carb, easy to make. Mine is chaffles. It's literally just cheese waffles. It's an egg, 60 grams of mozzarella cheese, some salt. And um, I put chia seeds and some probiotic fiber into it as well. 
but it's literally just that. And then on the dash mini waffle makers, and then I have some butter. It's super filling and it's dirt simple, super simple. So all in all, there's definitely a lot of low carb options out there from the get go, but it's also fun to try them out with recipes and stuff like that. And just recipes are meant to be played with. So definitely keep that in mind when you're trying to transition from like, oh, here's a recipe that I found to, oh, let me make this work for me instead of me make, instead of me working for it. All right. Now it is your turn. Share some of your tips and tricks for making recipes type 1 diabetes friendly in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com slash community. I can't wait to see you there.